Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. I really am so excited that you've decided to join us for this service. You know, people come to church or watch a church service online for lots of reasons. I don't know why you decided to join us today, but here's something I do know. God is at work in your life and he's brought you here to this place in this moment to accomplish his purposes. Since people grow here, you will leave changed. I trust his work in your life. So can you. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the pastoral team here at Dayspring. We have a fantastic team who work tirelessly to help people grow. We love helping you discover the best path forward to deepening your spiritual roots, whether you are here in the room or watching online, live or on demand at some point in the future. If you are visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that we are a come-as-you-are kind of church. We don't have any perfect people here. We are all in process, working through our junk, and sometimes that is a messy process. So if you can embrace our mess, we'll embrace yours, and together we'll let God work to clean it all up. And if you're just checking out Jesus and church, this is a safe place to bring your questions and doubts. We're all on a journey. And wherever you are on your journey, welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find study questions by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, Let's join the service. Man, have you guys been paying attention to all of the social media and news coverage for this Johnny Depp and Amber Heard <laughs> trial? Isn't that ridiculous? It's everywhere. Like, you, you can't look at a single social media app without articles and links and opinions and video feeds and loops and all that stuff. It's just absolutely everywhere, right? In fact, it's so pervasive that if you were to open up any app right now, or maybe even you don't need to open it, maybe your phone is sending you an alert like my phone sends me, right? I'm not following it. I'm not looking at it. But my phone sends me an app or an alert telling me about the latest progress in this trial. It's crazy. What's weird about it is it comes from my weather app. So uh, I don't have any idea what that uh, trial has to do with the rain in Salem and Kaiser, but you would think it meant everything because when you open the app, there's another banner for it at the top, like to, cl to click on a news article around it, right next to the hourly forecast. So anyways, that has me thinking, right? I don't really know a lot about that trial or what's going on with it. I'm not sure that I could even describe to you um, why they're arguing and why they're in court. Um, but, you know, it's interesting to me because I, I feel sad for them. I feel sad for them because wouldn't it be strange to have all of your most regrettable moments dissected by a legal examination and then re-examined by another cross-examination? And then if that weren't enough, after that, it goes out to be printed in news articles, and, and, and not just printed in news articles, but video, and, and excellent video, close-up video. It's everywhere, right? And from there, it goes on to social media, and people are pre pre you know, presenting their opinions, and, 
And, you know, like those video loops that just look at the smallest tiny, tiny facial expressions and they're interpreting that. And, man, how embarrassing that would be. And it dawned on me that there's actually at least two trials happening there. There's two trials. The first trial is obviously the one that's in the middle of the legal court, right? The second one is the trial by social media. There's a trial by social media. And, and make no mistake, the character and integrity of both Johnny Depp and Amber Heard is on trial before our eyes. It's on trial in the court and in social media. Now, What's even more strange is as I'm studying for this and I'm watching this thing happen uh, in our own current lives, um, it's not all that different than the chapters that we're looking at today in John 18 and 19. See, in John chapter 18 and 19, we see several trials happening. Most of them you're going to be very familiar with. It's the trials where Jesus stands before Annas and Caiaphas, and later he stands before Pilate. That's chapter 19. We're not actually going to hit that one. That's going to be your homework. But all of those trials are familiar to us. What may not be familiar to you is the other trials that are actually happening. You see, Jesus isn't the only one who is on trial in these chapters. John describes the actions of Judas and the actions of Peter in these chapters. And in a way, their character and their integrity is also on trial. It's being described in a way that casts it as contrasting to the character and actions of Jesus in this same passage. So if you have your Bible with you or if you have your phone with you, turn to chapter 18 of the Gospel of John, and we're going to start reading there in verse 1 here just shortly. But while you're navigating there or turning there in your Bible, I'll, I'll catch you up with where we're at. Earlier this evening, Jesus had, had gathered with his disciples in the upper room, and there Jesus washed their feet, and then they shared in the Passover meal. During the Passover meal, Judas left to go betray Jesus to the Pharisees for 30 coins of silver. Also during the Passover meal, Jesus warned Peter that later on that night he would betray him, or not betray him, he would deny him three times. After this, Jesus spends an extended period of time in prayer and teaching to prepare his disciples for what would come next. So let's pick that up and begin reading in chapter 18, verse 1. So after saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples, and entered the grove of olives. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to, to accompany him. Now, with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? He asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And Jesus said, I am he. They all drew back and fell to the ground. Now, at this point, like our social media trial that's happening in front of us, Judas's character is on trial right now. It's an examination of his character and his integrity in his actions. It may not be so easy to see in this short little snippet, so we kind of have to step back into the classroom a little bit and understand the literary style that John is using to write his gospel. So John is using um, an ancient biography format. 
So biographies at the time that John wrote are a little bit different than the biographies that we read today in a couple of different ways. One crucial way for us this morning is that biographies at the time that John wrote didn't spend a great deal of time examining the internal processes that we have going on in our minds, right? It didn't spend a lot of time describing the feelings and thoughts and all that stuff. Instead, they focused on the actions of an individual. It was the actions of an individual that revealed their inner thoughts, their inner feelings, their inner, their inner uh, motivations. And those actions are what show your integrity and your character. That's what John is doing here. He's using the actions of Judas to show his integrity and his character. And he would leave the reader to, de- to decide what that is based on those actions, right? Now, you might be looking at this and going, well, duh, no kidding. We all kind of know that our actions and our words give us away, tell a little bit more about what we're thinking and feeling than maybe what we want others to know all the time, right? So with that, what are the actions of Judas tell us about Judas's character? Well, for one, we know that Judas didn't really know Jesus all that well. Now, he knew him. He walked with him personally for three years, but he didn't know him all that well. And we know this because he led a contingent of Roman soldiers with weapons. Now, a contingent of Roman soldiers, that term here in Greek, could have meant as many as 600 Roman soldiers. Now, I really doubt that there were 600 Roman soldiers at this point in time in this particular group, but the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all describe this as a large crowd. And all four Gospels describe this large crowd as armed and ready for battle, carrying uh, clubs and swords and other weapons, right? So they're coming into this situation ready for a fight. But that's not Jesus. And Judas doesn't realize it. He's brought a a group of people ready for a fight, and he doesn't realize that Jesus is going to step forward, knowing all that's going to happen to him. And he's going to surrender peacefully. There's another way that we can also tell that Judas didn't really know Jesus. And while it's not... detailed here, Matthew tells us that Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. He betrayed him with a kiss. Now, at this time, seems a little strange for us maybe, but at this time and in this culture, a kiss was a sign of devotion, right? And when a, a, um, a disciple would meet his rabbi, he would kiss him as an expression of his devotion and his obedience to him. So that wasn't abnormal in that way, but it was abnormal in the sense that why was the kiss even necessary? right? Judas must have expected some type of deception to be at play when they would try to arrest him. Maybe he thought that Peter or James or John or somebody would try to, you know, um, step in and say, well, I'm Jesus, just long enough for Jesus to slip away into the darkness, right? Again, Judas reveals that he doesn't know Jesus. Yes, he knows where to find him, he knows what he looks like, but he doesn't really know Jesus, Now, that's interesting because Judas Judas lived with Jesus and the disciples for three years. Judas would have been present when Jesus performed all of his miracles. He would have seen Jesus heal the paralyzed man, give sight to the blind, raise Lazarus from the dead. He would have been in the boat when Jesus walked on water and when Jesus calmed the storm. He would have been in the crowd when Jesus fed 5,000 people. He would have been present when Jesus sparred with the Jewish leaders and 
privately when Jesus told his disciples to love one another. This is the new command that he gave them. Judas was there for all of it. John records all of that. We've seen it. We've been working our way through the gospel of John, so you know these things already. And so did Judas. Judas knew them already as well. But he reveals in his actions he doesn't really know Jesus. Again, he knows where to find him, and he knows what he looks like, but he doesn't know that Jesus would respond with a peaceful surrender, and he wouldn't lie, and he wouldn't fight to save his life. That's different. So what? So what? So what does all this mean to us, right? You might be thinking that. Maybe you're not thinking that. But I've given you in your outline a couple of questions that I think are helpful for us. They're helpful for me. And it's the question, so what? And it's the question, now what? And under each section of this passage, we're going to answer those two questions as our way of of highlighting the point and the practical application as we process God's word in our lives today. So in this first section, under the, answer, under the question, so what, what is the whole point? So what? Judas's example shows us that you can be an insider, engaging and participating in the work and the, and, and the activity of the church, and still not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let that sink in. You can be here and still not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're welcome to be here. We love you here. But that really has, has something that we should think about. Like Judas, all of us come with our own motives. We all come for different reasons. I think most of us uh, come wanting to grow in Christ, wanting to worship and, and, and participate in the, the, the community of God's people in order to grow up in fellowship and in character with God, of Christ. Amen? But I also know from my own experience that you can come from different places and different reasons. You can come for the social connection. Maybe you think of church as no different than a, you know, a, a book club or a social club or a community service group. Or maybe you're here because you came with your wife or your mom or your husband or your family has always gone to church so you just go to church. Or maybe, maybe you're here for affirmation and, 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 and some other social need that you're not getting anywhere else. Which brings us to the now what question. Now what? What do you do with this? This should lead each one of us, Judas's example should lead each one of us to think about our relationship with God and our relationship with Jesus. It should lead us to take some time for honest self-reflection and self-examination about our relationship with Jesus. We should ask ourselves, have I given my life to Christ and decided to follow him and seek his purposes in my life? Have I trusted in Jesus for my salvation? Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your mouth that you declare and and it is with your heart that you believe and you are justified. Romans 10, 13 goes on and says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The question this morning is, have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you in genuine faith said, Jesus, you are the Lord and Savior of my life? Your homework today Your homework today is to carve out some time 
and spend some time in reflection about your faith and your salvation. All of you, no matter where you think you are, it's healthy to do that. It could be 30 minutes, it could be three hours, it could be the entire day. What matters is is that you give yourself enough time to reflect on the gospel of Jesus Christ and your position and posture before him. And that you're honest with yourself and with God about where you are. Because only through that will you experience the life change Jesus came to give us. It could change your life. Okay, let's move on to the next part. We're getting now into the the, the trial of Peter, really. So in verse 7, Jesus says, uh, Once more he asked them, Who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said, and since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement, I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? They're outnumbered. It's dark. There's torches, and it's, it's probably a chaotic event and a chaotic scene. Peter, on his best day in the best of circumstances, would have been out of his depth handling a sword against a Roman soldier, let alone a contingent of Roman soldiers. But this doesn't faze Peter. You see, when faced with the realization that Jesus is going to surrender, Peter draws his sword and draws first blood. He moves to violence. He moves to action. He must have known that against a contingent of battle-hardened Roman soldiers, it's a futile effort to resist. Maybe that's why he cut off Malchus's ear instead of a Roman soldier's ear, right? Uh, <laughs> pick, the, pick the weakest guy or the guy that's not likely to kill you if you do. But Peter has always been the most impulsive, the most outspoken, the most rash, um, uh, argumentative disciple out of all of the disciples. That's always been Peter. So we might look at this section here and we might say, man, what an incredible act of courage and devotion Peter had to take his sword out and to engage into a battle. I'd say, yeah, maybe it was an act of devotion, but we have to ask ourselves, devotion to what? Devotion to Jesus? Jesus was surrendering. Devotion to God's will? No, God's will has already been clear, and Jesus has already shared that with his disciples. He's already told them, I will suffer. I will die. So what was, what was he devoted to? What was he willing to kill for? I'd say it's for his own agenda. You see, Peter had kind of been pushing his own agenda for quite some time. Um, it's, it's not unusual to see Peter arguing with Jesus in, in earlier passages in other Gospels. In fact, when Jesus predicted that he would die, it was, it was Peter who said, no, Lord, may it never be so. Right? And Jesus rebuked him strongly, saying, get behind me, Satan. It's huge. But it goes on from there. It's more than that. Like, even just when Jesus was, was going to wash his feet, he argued. He said, no, Lord, may it never be so. And Jesus insisted, no, I need to wash your feet. It has to happen this way. And then Peter instead of agreeing and saying, okay, Lord, wash my feet, he says, no, wash my feet and my hands and my head, wash all of me. 
It's like even when Peter agreed with Jesus, he was arguing for his way of things happening, right? He was always angling for his way. And when Jesus was warning him, saying, tonight you will, you will deny me three times, Peter doesn't accept that and, and think about that and listen to that. Peter says, no, no, it's not going to happen. Not me. Never. Right? The timing of this attack is also revealing of Peter's character. You see, it's not, after, it's not until after Jesus surrenders and seeks to protect the rest of the group. It's only then that Peter says, I need to take actions. I need to take things into my own hand. It's like he seems to think that he knows best, that he knows what needs to happen next. And he doesn't think that Jesus should just be stepping forward and surrendering to, the, to this arresting party. What's he doing? He's stepping forward in violence to promote and ensure his own agenda gets done. But on the opposite side of things, Jesus is surrendering, right? In response to this, Jesus says to, Jesus says to him, Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? So while Jesus is surrendering to God's will, Peter is fighting for his. What's the point here? Where should we take this? So what? So what is that even the best of us can find ourselves fighting against God's will when we are fighting for our agenda, just like where Peter is. I haven't done this in a year, so I've lost my place. So Peter had several opportunities to make things different. The first opportunity was earlier in the evening when Jesus warned him. He could have listened and taken Jesus' warning uh, into account. But it's clear that Peter didn't really listen. It's also clear that he's not taking Jesus' warning seriously. In addition to not taking Jesus' warning seriously, um, uh, Peter is, is following this crowd. When most of all the rest of the disciples flee, Peter follows them, right, along with another disciple. And when he's shut out of the courtyard, he stands awkwardly by the gate. Obviously, he's within visibility of, of, of the courtyard, but it would have been a really weird thing to have some guy hanging around your gate entrance at that time of night. Like, uh, we have to ask ourselves, does Peter not realize that this is going to cause somebody to ask some questions about why he's there and who he's with? Or... Or maybe he does realize it and he just doesn't care. Or, or maybe he realizes it and, and just thinks there's absolutely no way that I will ever deny Jesus. But regardless, when this, when this woman at the gate comes to let him in, she, she asks very simply, you are not one of his disciples, are you? And he very simply says, no, I'm not. We skipped a part, didn't we? <laughs> we skipped the now what of the, of the fight, of Peter's fight, right? And the now what of Peter's fight, I want to go back and give this to you because it's incredibly important. We need to take the time to not just honestly reflect about our relationship with Christ, 
Good grief. Where am I at? Too many words. That's what happens when you have too many words. <laughs> we need to follow Christ's example and surrender our will to God's will. That's what we need to do. And your homework assignment for that middle section of, of, of Scripture is to memorize a verse that helps you remember to yield your will to God's will. When the trials and the tribulations and the, the, the struggles and the suffering come to you, we have to remember a way to do that. Now, we can't be too hard on Peter in this regard because I'm like Peter, and I think you probably are as well. Um, when, when, when those struggles come to me and that suffering comes to me and they disrupt my version of the way things ought to be, I can find myself responding poorly and fighting against God's will. So memorize a verse that helps you remember that God is in control and that his goodness is about you in this situation. You could take the verse that Jesus prayed and make his prayer your own prayer. That's in Matthew 26. Um, I like Psalm uh, 139, 23, and 24, where it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any way in me that grieves you and lead me in the way of everlasting. That just reminds me that whether it's in here, in here, or coming to me from out there, my will is not as good as God's will. See if there's anything that grieves you and lead me in the way of everlasting. Take that assignment today. Okay, so let's read the next section and then we'll get back to the point I was already talking about. This is embarrassing. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> okay, so verse 12. So the soldiers, their commanding officers, and the temple guards arrest Jesus and tied, them up, tied him up. First, they took him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at the time. Caiaphas was, one of the, was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders, it's better that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another disciple. That the other disciple was acquainted with the, light, with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate, and then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, you are not one of the man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I'm not. Because it was cold, the household servants had, and guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Okay, this is where I was headed to. This is the denial of Jesus. Peter had multiple opportunities to make things go a different way and to not deny Jesus. Earlier in the night, Peter could have listened to Jesus and heeded his warning, but he doesn't. He doesn't seem to expect that Jesus could possibly be right about him. He argued with Jesus at dinner, telling him that he would never deny him. So Peter followed the arresting party, and then he stands weirdly, like I said, out in front of this gate in the middle of the night. And it's not until this girl is, is told that, oh yeah, yeah, he's okay, he can come in, that, he, that somebody comes to him. And he doesn't seem to recognize that he's about to be questioned about why he's there. And again, when she asks him, he so casually and as a matter of fact just says, no, I'm not. Like that. He's denied Jesus. He's disowned. That's what this word actually means. 
to deny Jesus, when he says, you will deny me, it's the word for disowning. He has disowned Jesus. Now, it must have been a strange thing to, to go from, from such an intimate moment with Jesus at, the, at, at dinner the night before to the, the garden, to slashing off the ear of one of the guards, to maybe 20 or 30 minutes later, warming himself by a fire with this crew of people that just tied Jesus up. That would have been weird, wouldn't it? But Peter, Peter doesn't seem to get it. He doesn't seem to realize the kind of danger he's in. Now, he does realize he is in physical danger. To be associated with Jesus in that courtyard at that time of night, he gets that danger. He sees there is physical danger to him. That's why he lied to get in. That's why he said, no, I never knew him. He was afraid. What he doesn't see is the spiritual danger. There's a spiritual danger that he didn't recognize coming after him. So in this section, uh, John kind of bounces back and forth between what is happening with Peter and what's happening with Jesus inside. Um, kind of the way that, um, you know, uh, you see in a movie where a director will cut back and forth between two scenes. Or like maybe if you're watching this online and I'm not standing still and the, the camera people are very upset with me that I'm bouncing back and forth between cameras. So if you're watching this online, I'm sorry, it's my fault, not theirs, guaranteed. But that's what he does. So he jumps from what just happened with Peter in the courtyard back to what's happening with Jesus inside. Let's pick it back up in verse 19. Inside, the high priest began to ask Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and in the temples where people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They they know what I said. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is that the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? Jesus replied, if I had said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? And then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. So Annas is questioning Jesus right now because he, he's fishing for information. He needs to find something incriminating that he can bring to the, to the Romans in order to prove that Jesus is, is mounting an insurrection against the Romans. Now, he asks all about Jesus' disciples and his teaching, but Jesus doesn't respond to that. Instead, Jesus, Jesus doesn't mention the followers at all, and he only points out that he has spoken openly in a public place where all could, have, could hear. Even Annas could come and listen to the message if he wanted to. His ministry was done in public, while this trial, on the other hand, is be, being done at night. Jesus says, ask those who heard me, for they know what I said, precisely because they're not there. There are no witnesses to, to come before and, 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 and accuse Jesus. So Peter's rejection in the courtyard his denial, his disowning of Jesus in the courtyard is being cast alongside of Jesus' loyalty. You see, while Peter is in the courtyard warming himself by a fire with Jesus' enemies, standing around shoulder to shoulder with Jesus' enemies and denying and lying and, 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 and disowning Jesus, inside the house, Jesus is testifying to the truth. But he's testifying to the truth in a way that, that protects the disciples. 
and make sure that they will not be a part of this, this interrogation. So let's jump back in here. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself, they asked him again, you are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it. No, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose, whose ear Peter had cut off, didn't see, didn't I sit, hang on, whoa. One of the relatives of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. That's a, that's a, mouth, that's a mouthful for me, sorry. He asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. Now, immediately a rooster crowed. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke says that at this exact moment when this rooster crowed, Jesus turned and looked at him. Jesus turned and looked at him. And, and when that con- eye contact happened, he and Jesus had a moment, and it, just, it, it was a wake-up call for him. He remembered Jesus' words when Jesus told him that before, tomorrow, before the rooster crows tomorrow, you will deny me three times. So the rooster crow and that connection with Jesus was a wake-up call. It was a wake-up call that snapped Peter to attention. And it affected Peter deeply. And he left the garden emotionally overwhelmed and distraught about what he had just done. But this isn't the end of Peter's story, right? This isn't the end of it. So spoiler alert, um, uh, later this day, Jesus is going to go on to be tried before the Sanhedrin and then questioned and tried it before Pilate, and they will all condemn Jesus to die. Jesus will be then taken out, hung on a cross, and he will give his life. His body will then be put into a tomb, and he'll stay there for three days until God raises him to, the, to life on, this, on the third day. And in raising him to life on the third day, he is overcoming the power of sin and death in our lives. And he's proving that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, the Messiah. And in his resurrected form, Jesus goes to Peter. And not only does Jesus forgive Peter, he reinstates Peter. He restores Peter to a place of leadership. And Peter goes on from there to be a powerhouse for the gospel. He becomes an incredible leader of the gospel and of the church. So we have to ask ourselves for just a moment, if John was a close friend, brother, and ministry partner with Peter, why would he so plainly display such an ugly scene in Peter's life? That's a hard one. I think he does this on purpose, though. He tells us he does in in chapter 21. But he does this because he wants to show us an example of God's grace. You see, it's probably clear to you by now that John is using this event in Peter's life to make the grace and mercy of God visible to us. You see, the worst, the worst possible thing that we could do, Peter has done. He's rejected Jesus. He's spit in his face. In his hour of greatest need, he said, I, know, I don't know you. You're dead to me. Peter's messed up. <laughs> He messed up big time. And yet, Jesus, knowing all of this would happen, still gave his life on the cross for, Jesus, for Peter. He still gave his life for Peter. 
It's because of the example that Jesus has and we have in Peter that we know that the grace of God is good to us. See, I've messed up too. I've had these mess-ups in my life as well. We've all messed up. We all have this, this, this sin in our life. But the so what part of your, of your uh, outline here, so what, because of, the, because of Christ's sacrifice, we are forgiven. Sin doesn't have to determine your future. Hear that. If, the, if, if you don't hear anything else from this message that I've completely messed up, <laughs> hear this. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, your most regrettable, shameful moments don't have to determine your future. They don't determine your future. There is forgiveness and restoration in Jesus no matter how far you feel like you have gone, no matter how uh, uh, you know, shameful and, and disgusting you feel like your sin and your activities or your actions have been, it's not out of reach from God. It's not outside of the grace of Jesus Christ. Now you might be thinking, well, that's easy for you to say because you don't know what I've done. And to, to that I would say you're right. I don't know what you've done. I, I don't. But I know that Jesus knew and it's not a surprise to him. It's not a single surprise to him. He knew about it before he ever stepped forward in the garden and said, let the rest of these go. He knew about it then, and he knew about it when he hung on the cross. Even that thing you hide in the deepest corner of your heart that you hope no one ever discovers, he knows about it, and he loves you. And he gave his life to make sure that that thing doesn't define who you are that he defines who you are. Amen, amen, exactly. So all of the regrettable moments in our life don't define who we are. So what? That's the point. Our sin doesn't define who we are going forward. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The now what in your outline? Now what? Are you living that new life? That's the question. Do not let your past sin dictate your future. Choose today to live in the new life that Jesus provides. Choose today to follow Jesus Christ. Choose today to accept his forgiveness. And that, that's, that's for everybody. That's not just for those of us who are, or those who have not yet come to Christ. That's for everybody. If you have never given your life to Christ and have never accepted his forgiveness, submit your life to him today. Accept his forgiveness of your sin. If you're a seasoned saint, don't let that go by either. Recognize that even the things you continue to struggle with, Jesus' grace continues to cover them no matter what. Don't let that thing that, continues to, that you continue to struggle with, that, that catches you off guard and, and, and continues to plague you, don't let that continue to dictate your future. Because that's not what Christ came for. He came to give us freedom. There are times when we, when we look at our past regrets and we kind, of, we kind of have a hopeless view of them and we think to ourselves, you know what? Nothing I can do about it now. 
What's, what's done is done. What's done is done. And in truth, that's, that's somewhat true. You can't rewind time and go back and redo those things, even though you wish you could. But there is something we can do about it. The only thing we can do about those past regrets is ask for Jesus' forgiveness and trust him to take care of it. And live in the power of the Holy Spirit to not let that past sin dictate our future. To instead yield my will to God's will. Right? That's what this is all about. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that that you came to us to make a way and that in that garden that night, you stepped forward. You stepped forward to protect the disciples, to ensure that your will would be done, and all of that for us in this room, online, and in this world, Lord. Your grace never stops. And Lord, even though we may find ourselves fighting against you, thinking that our way is the best way and our agenda is the right agenda, Lord, just help us crucify that desire to do things our way. And instead, Lord, let us rely on your grace and your mercy through your salvation. Lord Jesus, give us, give us the power and strength that we need to live our, our lives free from sin and death, free from those past mistakes. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the study questions by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions alone or with others will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of people like you people who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring. Your financial generosity is proof of God's work in your life. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Also, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you're on. It means a lot to me when you pass on the good news of Jesus to your friends and family. Until next week, may you experience God's favor and blessing in your life.